Hello, I'm very happy to introduce today Karin Boeri. Karin Boeri is a very happy person herself and she's making other people happy. Like for example, now she just finished the session with 400 people. She is consultant in employee happiness and engagement and communication. Dear Karin, hello. Happy to see Hi. you. Happy Hi, to Hi, see also. you. Very happy to see you. See you Karin too. looks like an actress. She looks like a singer, believe it or not, but she's consultant in happiness. So we have that beautiful consultant who gives happiness in this challenging time. Uh, when I was producing Women SME conference, it was a big conference for around mm. 450 people in Dubai. Karin was MC there. She was the presenter there. I asked her to present. And even when few months came, it was after one or two months, I still received very positive comments. They said we liked very much how Karin presented and what kind of ambience she did. So our talk today, what will be our work after COVID-19? How will our workplace look like? How we can adjust to this changing situation and turbulent times? How we can get used to work from home? So Karin prepared for us um, you know, big research, and uh, she's working on that a lot. So we will listen to her small lecture and her ideas about that, her expertise, and then I will ask a few questions about that. So Karin, you're very welcome. Thank you, thank you, Olga. Um, uh, well, I, I wish I was part of a much bigger research like other organizations are out there. For example, uh, we have uh, lovely, re lovely research arms from universities like uh, the Greater Good Science Center, which is a research arm of UC Berkeley, California. A lot of the practices and programs that I bring into, their, into uh, my workshops come from there. Uh, I, I also use a bit of the work of uh, professionals who are quite um, active in this domain, like Professor Sandro Formica, uh, uh, an Italian researcher, uh, a PhD in the who has a PhD in uh, travel and tourism, but also economics and happiness. And I did a certification course last year through his program in collaboration with Florida International University and World Happiness Summit. Uh, and I got a Chief Happiness Officer certification. So also uh, a lot of the principles and the measurements, how do we measure happiness at work? All these things we learned, what kind of tools are out there that we could use. Uh, now you see a lot of apps coming up on, on measuring your mood on a daily basis. One particular one uh, that really struck my attention was uh, one called Mappiness. And so they shoot out questions on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, and uh, and basically they they collect data from one person, maybe also more and more than one people of how they're feeling on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, and what they found was very interesting and the scoring system is a bit strange, but I will I will put it to you uh, as this. So uh, they found that the cause of our daily anxiety is work. And Ooh. it was equal to a great point, if I remember correctly, at minus five, which is equivalent to being sick. Okay. So, uh, Karin, I would like to ask a small uh, comment or questions. You mean that people were unhappy and one of the main reasons for people being unhappy is their work? 
on a daily basis, the main reason that people are unhappy is because of work. And workplace anxiety is increasing by the year. Uh, we, and it's costing the global economy trillion, a trillion dollar of lost, of lost productivity. And when we talk about lost productivity, we're talking about people who get sick, so they are, they are absent from their work, they take their sick leaves. We talk about presenteeism, presenteeism meaning being at work, but not here. <laughs> so you're physically there, but you're mentally zoned out. Uh, we can talk about um, uh, 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 poor work relationships. So for example, the, the top three uh, causes of workplace anxiety uh, that uh, the global management standards presented was uh, one, the uh, unrealistic workload, uh, two, the... Um, uh, what was the second one? Oh, if I remember, it's been a while now, but, but I remember third was the violence and the threats and the bullying that's going on in the workplace. So, oh, sorry, the second one was a uh, lack of uh, resources such as technology or any kind of, you know, resources you need, including management support is not readily available still. So these are the three the three top ones uh, that are actually going on. But now with COVID, things have shifted. We have different challenges. Now remote work has come into play and it's coming in with its opportunities and with its disadvantages. So I guess we're gonna- Absolutely, absolutely. Some, some people are very happy. They say it's the best place. Yeah. I'm so happy I'm at home. I'm drinking my tea, coffee. Others saying it's disaster. I have husband, I have kids, I have somebody coming, some calls, yeah. somebody bringing me dry cleaning. I'm completely, I'm dying. I don't want to work from home. Completely two different positions. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and, and then here, this is where the real test comes in. We, you, you asked me a question earlier, not over the video, but when we were communicating over WhatsApp, uh, you know, how do you manage your concentration? How do you keep yes. focused, right? And when you're when you're uh, being challenged like this, so the the real question is, it's not about the situation you're in; it's about how you're dealing with yourself. The issues of concentration that we're having is because we are we don't know or have not yet faced this kind of challenge before to be able to navigate around all these distractions all these uh, disruptions, uh, these noises, uh, you know, and then family requests here and there. I mean, I'm, I'm also a victim of it. There are days where I can manage it, even with my mom and my sister around and asking me many questions. And there are days when I cannot manage it. And then when I go back, I realize it's because I didn't sleep well, or uh, maybe it's my time of the month. I don't know, <laughs> you know, hormones keep <laughs> moving around the place. But uh, also, um, it's, it's really how you're dealing with your own internal challenges on a daily basis. How are you waking up in the morning? You know, I find myself today meditating and praying much more than I ever did because I realized starting my day with loving kindness in my heart, with praying to the Lord and thanking him for keeping me alive and giving me another chance to live this day and live this life and see my family, um, you know, puts me in that mood. 
and that recharge, if you can say. I filled up my happiness bank. I filled up my resilience bank. So now I know whatever comes up, I think I'll be okay. Then again, you never know. It depends on the intensity of what is showing up and it, and it depends on how much work you've done internally as well. So. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes you're just not resourceful. And if somebody's coming every two minutes, somebody opening the door or somebody's coming and you told, please, you remember this BBC news when the guy was giving yeah. the news and then the kids <laughs> entering, it was so famous around the world. But the thing is, because he's in good mood and he's a great person, he did uh -huh. it very elegantly. He well, didn't yeah, become yes, crazy. No. <laughs> he didn't start shouting at them. Because he's a very good person, it shows that he loves his family and even if there is some mistake okay so what yeah i think you know he actually started this whole uh, movement almost you know and we weren't seeing it coming but it kind he insinuated to what's happening to our lives today which is which is really amazing i mean he he actually started this whole movement yes yeah pretty pretty cool yeah, so uh, uh, what else do I have to say? So uh, Okay, uh, uh, maybe then it will be easier for you, Karina. I want to use that time to help a lot of people to think how their world will change in these COVID times. Yeah. One of the questions is how for the owner of the company to stay connected to people? Because, uh, okay, they're working from home and some owners of the company, they say, I don't know what they're doing. Maybe most of the day they are not working and I still have to pay the salary and I'm not sure is it the best productivity uh, or not and, and how to stay connected. Amazing question because you, you're, you're leading me into something that's quite important to talk about. But before we go there, uh, when I launched my survey campaign just about a month ago maybe and a bit, one of the videos I did was on leadership and the, 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 you know, what's going on with leadership and how leadership is showing up during this pandemic. And one article I read in Forbes was that managers are being, are, are very worried about, again, what you're exactly saying, the productivity of their employees to a point where they found that surveillance platforms have risen in sales. So, the managers or such leaders are buying or purchasing apps or platforms that can survey and watch and monitor their employees as they work away from the from the office space and work and away from their eyes right so in a way it's it's sad uh, because we already had issues of micromanagement and now micromanagement is showing up in its more uglier in its uglier colors during this pandemic you know this pandemic really revealed the insecurities about a lot of people in every single level in the organization and this pandemic has also shown who are the true leaders who's showing up the right way who are the leaders who are showing and this is exactly what i'm, I'm going at now empathy uh, who is showing compassion? Who is showing trust? Who is showing respect? Now, these are big buzzwords, I understand. And there are certain actions that need, need to be done in order to show, show, these things, show these things up. Empathy and compassion first starts with the leader connecting with each of his team members or her team members on a one-on-one -on -one basis to understand what their current personal challenges are 
and how it's impacting their professional issues or professional situation or even professional challenges. So this one-on-one -on -one has to happen before the group meeting. Of course, the group meeting is there to talk about, you know, we're all in this together. Let's start supporting each other. Yes, that should happen. And it should happen uh, on, a, on a frequent basis. It could be every two weeks, um, every month. Uh, I, I believe every two weeks is good enough. Every week is a bit too much. Um, even when you want to talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, I mean, you need to give people the space to really figure out how to create a system that works for themselves at home. We were talking about space. What if people have, don't have the right space? What if they need to share the space with other family members who are also working? Then how do they- Karin, don't even talk about that. A lot of people say, okay, now we have homeschooling and we have to share our laptop with our child. Yeah. And I cannot sit 10 hours only on my project. I have only four hours. Then I need to give him computer wow. to do his math. Can you imagine? It's double wow. challenge. It's amazing. So, so this is exactly it. Uh, the, 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 um, we, we, I mean, leaders have to really look into these details regarding their employees and they need to understand, okay, this employee is married with kids. I know she or he will be available only at this time. And, and you know, I've attended many webinars about the future of work and what people, what kind of conversations are going on. And today they really, really emphasize it. It's no longer about being online nine to five, like we are in the office from nine to five. It's about achieving the needed outcomes, achieving the needed KPIs, the results. So also leaders must clarify that, that okay, now I understand your personal challenges. This is how we're going to work together. Now regarding your work, these are the things I need. When do you think you can deliver them by? It has to be a, a two-way discussion, a two-way conversation between employee and leader, and they need to agree together. And then, commit then it's about truly committing so whether you work early in the morning or really late at night or in the afternoon or by the beach or by a coffee shop or 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 in the toilet even <laughs> you know as long as you deliver as long as you commit and deliver on time and and that uh, builds uh, not only trust especially from the leader they feel like, okay, they have listened to me and they have done everything they can and they did deliver on their project right on time. So you are nourishing the trust here. And for the leader to come and engage with you in a two-way discussion rather than one way, that you as a leader, you're building also respect. You're having your employees respect you without even trying. Respect is something you earn and not you ask for. And to earn respect, you must really be at your best, at your best. You know, it's very interesting. Yesterday we have a Hidden Hero Mini Summit and one of the experts, Janan, she said that I love my uh, boss very much because when I was in the earthquake in uh, Turkey, he said, how can I help you and your family? Is everybody safe? Do you need some uh, help, financial help, because yeah. maybe part of you, you know, these small things are very important because if some of your team are sick or in the hospital or their parents are sick, they cannot work just because they cannot. Yeah, exactly. They need help. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And people will remember that.
They will yeah. remember that company. There you go. There you go. And it's in the little things. This is showing up uh, by caring, by empathizing, by showing compassion. And what's even better is when you take action on this empathy, and that's and hence they call compassion. Today, if you look at uh, Microsoft as an organization, uh, when it was when it's being led by Satya Nadella, I mean you. Uh, also, the other talks I, I uh, watched other people from Microsoft and how they compared the previous leadership to the current one and the entire cultural shift as a result of that. And then you ask why? What was the secret? And Satya was, was a leader who prioritized compassion training. He prioritized uh, mindset training, meaning how to go from a negative to a positive mindset. And when we say negative, we're talking about fixed. So fixed versus growth, right? Uh, open versus, uh, versus uh, 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 closed or prevention. Oh, sorry, protection versus uh, uh, pre prevention. Uh, so these are the kind of things uh, that Nadella did. And he, he listened more than he talked. He prioritized listening to his customers, listening to his employees. He was ready to take the negative feedback, but he knew what to do with it. And from there, he created programs that really made an impact, huge impact, even on the, on the, uh, uh, the share of the company, the share price of the company in every, every way. You know, I think it's very difficult, you know, to listen to the feedback sometimes because yeah. I'm sure that out of 10 feedback, there definitely will be a negative feedback. And to be able to listen to these comments and you should be strong. You should be strong leader. And only a strong leader can afford listening to these negative comments and try to improve. Yeah. And there is a way, Olga, to do this. And it's very important to remember that when somebody gives you negative feedback, okay, for you, you perceived it as negative, okay? Because at the end of the day, everything in the world is perception, is how we perceive the world. We can either perceive it negatively, positively, neutrally, whatever, or anything in between, right? So the most important thing when somebody is giving you feedback is to remain as neutral as possible, is to remember that this person uh, is not attacking you, that you need to remember not to take things personally. A person who genuinely comes and gives you feedback means he's genuinely concerned uh, to see you improve because they can see your potential for improvement. So for me, I trained my mind to see it the other way around, that when someone gives me feedback, it's because they care. I mean, our parents, look what our parents did to us. They damaged us because of all the criticism they gave us. We, okay, we accept it from them. Uh, and sometimes we don't, but we still love them and we still listen to them and, and their feedback is still valuable. Why, why with our parents we are like this and we're not being like this with other people? Why do we see other people outside of our family circle as threats? Why? Why are we losing this trust? And it's losing day by day. And you know what? To a certain degree, 
people are to be blamed and not to be blamed at the same time. Why I don't blame people? Uh, ah, your, your, your screen froze for a second. So I was saying, so why I don't blame people sometimes for the bad reactions that they do? Is because I always remember, maybe they didn't sleep well. Maybe they didn't eat well. Maybe they, they, there are many reasons why people are just angry. Uh, maybe they're not being heard. Sometimes people who are always angry are people who feel they're not being listened to. So maybe it's just about sitting and actually listening to them so they can realize, okay, somebody really cares to listen. And when you listen, they feel valued. They feel like they have a reason to exist, you know? And today we're all fighting to stay relevant. Relevant meaning our skills, are they aligned with the gaps of work we have today or not? And if they're not aligned, it's a problem. We won't be relevant then. We won't be useful anymore to society, to the economy. If we're not relevant, if our skills don't make sense anymore to the new way of working. So we have to upskill, reskill ourselves, go the extra mile, learn to unlearn so we can relearn, you know? And this is tough. It's not easy because we were always used to an education system that gave us a structure that told us, told us what to do. Start with this, then do this. It was always a robotic industrial way, machine way of doing things. Hit the on button and then off button, you know? No, it, it, it doesn't work like this anymore. Not anymore. I like what this, that we should learn to, to unlearn, to study, to, to learn relearn. again. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, yeah. Karin, I would like to ask my last question for today, since you're a consultant in employee happiness. And I think happiness, it's important way during this pandemic time. It's not that easy as before to be happy. Yeah. What do you yeah. think? And today you give uh, your workshop for 400 people. What maybe few points that you can give us for happiness since the time is turbulent? Okay, so today's session in specific was about making the switch to real happiness or to sustainable happiness. So when we talk about happiness, people tend to think happiness is a feeling, you know, or they, they, they mix it up with pleasure. Pleasure is a good feeling, is a good sensation. It could be physical, emotional, psychological, but, but it's one component of happiness. Happiness is many things. It's many components working together. So today, before I showed the five switch strategies to creating real happiness, I first introduced the biology of happiness. People are not aware that everything we, we, we create in our lives, whether internally in our internal world or external world, it's coming from our hormonal reactions and the activation of brain waves, okay? So if hormones and brain waves are adjusted and are fine, are, are doing the regular course, we are at peace and we are balanced. But the moment our hormonal uh, biology is shaken or disrupted because we are behaving maybe not in a correct manner to support the healthy hormonal production or it could be 
our brain waves being disrupted. For example, me staying up all night uh, instead of sleeping and allowing my brain to clean up all the toxins that it accumulated throughout the day. I didn't sleep and do that. So I'm expected to have a disruption of brain waves and hence I will feel stressed, fatigued, tired and stuff. So I first introduced this concept that happiness is chemical, really. It's a, it's a chemical reactions and it's also genetics and it's also choices uh, and behavior and it's also external events. But guess what? Only 10% of our happiness is impacted by external events. Unbelievable. Only 10%. 10% that means that it's quite possible for us. I mean, 10% it's not 0%. It's still a big it's percent. A but 10% it's not 90. That means even, even in any situation and in any circumstances, if we make a choice, we can be still happy. Absolutely. So 50% is genetics. So if you have happy, funny parents, then you're very lucky. <laughs> if you don't, then go on to the 40% where you can change your choices and behaviors and actions and thoughts and emotions and start building positive habits. Then you can truly become built with the right happiness weapons. And then in this session, I present the five switch strategies where I, one strategy is staying up, moving on, or switching to sleeping in. And I present the, the very he healthy benefits of early sleeping. I talk about our circadian rhythm and our chronotype, which is something people also don't know about. So we go a little bit scientific on sleep. I talk about um, you know, how we jump from being emotional, right? And, but not knowing how to express ourselves to knowing how to, how to express these emotions. This is also another problem. We, yes, we, we, are a, um, you know, we are a container of emotions as human beings and we need to love both our bad and good emotions, both our positive and negative emotions. Even our negative emotions give us the boost to do something positive. So it depends how you use them. And then here is where I talk about how we can express our emotions in a more constructive way by listening, by nonviolent communication, by writing in your journal, by using art and music. So there are different ways of expressing emotions. So also I show, and this is, might be a very interesting one for our audience, how money brings happiness but only to a certain degree. And what really comes after money is the moments we create as a result of the money that we use to create it. So from money to moments, how people need to prioritize uh, having beautiful experiences uh, rather than spending money on material things that really don't add value to our lives. So, you know, Karin, I will say that uh, if to sum up uh, what you were saying, that uh, really, uh, of course, it depends on our parents, on genetics, but still we can make uh, our choices and we can be happy in any situation. Uh, as well, we can think about emotions and even bad emotions can be boosters for great achievements. And of course, that we can use money for great moments. And for great moments, like to eat ice cream with your friends, sometimes you need that much money 
because you can go to Starbucks or I don't know, some simple cafe in the street. And this moment will be unforgettable because your discussion is will be so helpful. And also I like what you emphasized about listening, that when people are listened, they feel respected. Yes. And they feel valuable. And I think that are very important things. I feel that you have so many, it's like Lego, Lego topics oh. about nonviolent <laughs> communication, happiness, money, how to, it's like so many layers. Yeah. And uh, really, yeah. I'm, uh, and I think all of us, we are very lucky that out of this busy schedule that you have, giving lectures, working with different companies, you come to us today. I think you will write a very famous book. And it will be my dream to have you again. And of course, I would like to thank you because it gives very positive energy to people. And yes. it, sometimes it's not easy for you. As you said, you're staying with your mom, with your sister. It's not that that Karin is living on other planet and uh, everything yeah. is very easy for you. No, you also have challenges, but you're overcoming them in positive way. Yes, building resilience and a new word now that is flying around that's really beautiful and much stronger than resilience is anti-fragility. Uh, so this, this term comes from um, the author uh, Nicholas... Black, uh, it's uh, black swan and white black swan. Black swan, bravo, thank you very much. Yes, so this is it, that in times of crises, how are we resilient and becoming better? So that's being anti-fragile. Being resilient is just staying the same, not being impacted by what's happening, but staying the same. But today we're on a revolutionary ride and rising for humanity and evolutionary. I mean, what, what we are seeing today is truly something extraordinary. It's really our chance now, now that we have a bit of the time to do, to do that is to uncover what's coming next in our capacities as human. And next is morality, people. Morality, please let's bring back morality into everything we do, every, every system we design in our economy, in our finance uh, industries, everything, even in, in our work and in our educational institutes. Let's bring back morality. Karin, I would like to say like that because you are very emotional, very inspirational, busy, and I think you want to bring it um, to bring this message to thousands of people. And really, uh, we will wait for you again because you. you have so many things to say. Please stay safe, take Thank care you. of yourself, be happy, and what you're doing is priceless. I was Thank so happy you. to see you. Thank, Thank you, Karin. Thank Love you so you. much. Bye bye. My dear friends, I would like to welcome today my guest, precious guest. This is Marina Basharova. She's an executive team partnership coach, mediator, public speaker and producer. She has 20 years of corporate management experience. Karinochka, hello. I'm happy to see you. Thank you so much for your time. Hi, Olga. Very happy to see you. And all my... That's behind me, also happy to see everybody. 
It so, goes without saying, we never had any expert who came with such a beautiful and cheerful background, you know? So I think already you are very different from all other people. You know why I invited Karina today? Because besides her great experience as executive coach, as a person who is doing brands and can promote people, and definitely we will talk about that because a lot of people are entrepreneurs and they don't know how to build their own brand, even in these turbulent times. Karina is is a person who knows a lot of jokes and uh, she puts humor everywhere and when she comes the atmosphere becomes very happy not boring at all she gives a lot of power to people so Karina what do you think in that turbulent times when all of us are very uncertain what will happen when a lot of people are losing their jobs their clients and you know uh, a lot of lockdowns are going on in the world how we can use humor and do you think it's appropriate or we will look just silly if we do it to solve the situation a little bit? Well, uh, first of all, uh, humor, as you probably know, it's not just about cracking jokes. It's about a certain mindset. So definitely a, certain, a mindset where you can really um, express your emotions on one hand, but on the other hand, do not take yourself too seriously, as well as the situation uh, is actually a talent. So, and uh, the bad news is that whenever we are in trouble, uh, the first thing we can lose is our sense of humor. Uh, but on the other hand, the most important thing and the most thing we lack in this situation is also a sense of humor because it helps you to really um, uh, avoid tension because once we are uh, scared, once we are uncertain, once we are really afraid of lo about losing face, we really think too seriously and that is a mistake. So the first life hack is actually to remember. So once you be be become too serious, just try to relax try to think that this thing has happened to others and uh, uh, find something funny about it. Because usually whenever something happens, we think, well, this is the first time this ever happened to a human being. And this is already hilarious because that's not true. Uh, it definitely happened before to the best of us. Then of course, this um, eternal question, why me? I was good at least for last couple of hours so why am i punished so badly and we all know that the better we perform the more challenges we get so we can survive and it's much more fun to survive with some pleasure with le with the least less tension and to have some enjoyment in whatever situation is given Definitely. Karina, tell me please, what is the biggest challenge for you right now? You are a famous coach in Russia, in many other countries. And what do you think? What is the biggest challenge for your work and for you personally? And how do you survive that challenge? Because I'm, now everybody has a challenge. And even if people will say, oh, no, for me, no. <laughs> challenge really is for everybody because we cannot travel uh, for example, I was planning to come to you. You have a very interesting workshop in September in Moscow. And uh, I even don't know, maybe there will be no uh, transportation and everything is changing. What is the biggest challenge for you and how you survive it? 
Well, of course, at first I had uh, the same uh, the same uh, challenges as all of us uh, worries about uh, COVID and about my friends and relatives and about my kids uh, with the danger of getting it. Then all these epichondric syndrome when you had a headache or a hangover um, because we welcomed this isolation with a lot of Zoom parties. Uh, so and of course we all had the symptoms of COVID. Uh, but then we found out that these are sim symptoms of family life or hangover <laughs> or uh, some uh, injuries from falling down about uh, after hangover. So um, then uh, also um, structuring your life virtually. And uh, before um, they started, I was really a, a micro nano influencer because I didn't do that much um, virtually. And now you basically all day and uh, at first I was really very um, unsure that people would enjoy uh, virtual sessions as uh, they did enjoy the face-to-face um, -face ones but gradually we really started to enjoy and to uh, improve the performance and uh, to make these um, both parties and uh, learning sessions more rich and uh, more fun and more deep so um, uh, really and they a lot of humor emerged there as well for example uh, in the first sessions we i tried to involve my participants by saying that every hour i will say two or three stupid irrelevant words and those who have uh, learned memorize and put down more words will get a bottle of champagne uh, funny enough people thought that there are much more words that are irrelevant to the program than they really were. So basically, at the end of the day, I realized that I was basically speaking total bullshit because people got all the, half of the course they found very irrelevant. So it was <laughs> we had a lot because of something. It's so hard that they think half of the, half of the information yeah. is irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. For example, like, hello, my name is Karina, irrelevant. <laughs> so, okay, and um, um, then um, talking about um, humor, uh, we uh, launched the 100 jokes test, which first was launched by my colleague David Campbell in the States because he realized that emotional intelligence can be also measured by the number of jokes a person hears. And it doesn't have to do with his performance or telling jokes nicely, uh, but just because he knows and knows what, what, what is the joke about and what rings the bell. So uh, he uh, put 100 phrases uh, based on which a person could memorize uh, and remember a joke it was related to. Mm. So uh, 50 years later, I repeated this test and it really is a lot of fun because people realize that some of the jokes are very familiar. Some of the jokes are totally new to them because I use the jokes which I heard more than 10 times in programs in different contexts. Contests. And uh, it's really funny that sometimes the most silent person, the most quiet person in the group, very introverted, knows all the jokes. It's like secret joke collector. <laughs> never, yeah. never, ever. Yeah. But he knows all of them. 
So uh, it's a lot of Very fun. Very unexpected. Normally you think introvert, he's not into jokes, but it's happened yeah. that he knows the most. Yeah. Yeah, they are secret humor partisans. So, um, and we even developed a uh, model of humor, which is called HQ, like humor quotient. Uh, and uh, it has uh, four levels. First, you realize that something funny is around you. You know, you just uh, have to be uh, very attentive and you bring your attention to something uh, that is a little bit absurd. Then uh, you actually articulate it to someone or just to yourself. So basically you create a joke, create a context because it's like with uh, sound. If nobody hears it, is nobody there, maybe there is no sound because it's in our ears. So in order to create it, you have to share it and to make it kind of visible, just intellectually or verbalize it. Then uh, once you articulated something funny, articulated a joke, there is somebody to respond. You basically start a game. There's somebody who will give you a chuckle or uh, like roar of laughter, laughter or some reaction. And basically that's how the game begins. And the final level is actually influencing the atmosphere. So basically when you have a situation, when you, uh, you know, tell a joke or you mention something funny or you do a funny gesture and then the whole atmosphere in the room changes, that's where you actually change the situation, change the air. And uh, on, on the other hand, there is another uh, phenomenon which is called by the French as a staircase uh, humor. Uh, basically, it's when you, you are talking to someone and uh, you feel that you are totally, you know, kind of frozen, you don't know what to say. Then you leave the room, you go out, you know, you close the door, and suddenly when you are going uh, downstairs, you realize what you had to say, but the time is over. <laughs> and some people, when they say, look, it's not when I go home. I think about it for years since then. I talk to this person and say like, no, I could have answered this or I could have answered that. Yeah. I, yeah. I understand what you're talking about, especially it's happening at exam or somewhere when you present something, you will say, oh my God, I should say that, that and that. And I know that why it didn't come to my mind at the same moment. But when you go the stairs, especially the stairs, I don't know why, it suddenly comes to the mind. Exactly. And remember the French uh, movie Amélie, where she actually, it's based on what she could have answered to different people. So she spends hours in, this con in these conversations. Oh, well, it's, it's, I think it's a great weapon, humor to survive and to make others happy. And I know, Karina, that you are very good in that. I was with you at one um, conference in uh, Cyprus, and I remember that <laughs> there were a lot of people. And when you were entering the room, every time the energy was changed because you said something and it was sometimes very insignificant. Like you come and you say, oh, everybody in that room, uh, I see that they have very nice hair and uh, you washed your hair very well today in the morning. So you're very well prepared for the seminar. I don't know, it was like very, it, it's not exactly the joke, but all the jokes were very not usual. And uh, I think uh, you said that we should uh, look around. Like for example, one man told me, Olga, your mask looks very good. 
And I was, uh, it was the first days when we start wearing masks. And I mm -hmm. was so confused. I was thinking, oh my God, it's so ugly. I look so terrible. And I was even ashamed to look into the eyes of other people because I mm -hmm. felt very awkward, you know? And when he told me, your mask looks very good, you know, I was, I was laughing a lot. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's cool. But uh, I can share a real secret life hack of uh, humorous conversation. You really tell the truth, and we are so un uh, unused to hearing the truth that uh, people find it hilarious, usually. So when you see something, um, I would say something honest, uh, like I, I believe you still have a great hairstyle, Olga. By the way, you didn't change it. The since the conference, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so uh, that, that, that's a great uh, free, that's great freedom, and um, also when people laugh together, that is this is a moment of truth because usually you can easily uh, fake that you are sad. You can fake sadness. You can even cry, but it's uh, very difficult, almost impossible, to fake a real uh, a good laugh. Mm. because people catch you. They immediately see that your laugh is not uh, really sincere. It's absolutely great. Karina, tell me please, you're also known as a person who is a very good mediator and who can solve conflicts. Um, what do you think, how we can use humor? Now there is a very big tension. You know, the, if mm -hmm. you especially see the news, there is a lot of anti-racist meetings <laughs> or whatever meetings and meetings because of uh, constitution changing or not changing and uh, the whole world is boiling mm -hmm. what do you think and of course this tension sometimes is in the offices in the workplace because when people come to the office they already tensed how with the sense of with the humor we can solve conflicts are there some secrets or rules that we can use at least to release the tension well, I, I think uh, basically you can't solve conflict without humor. But uh, usually when people start trying, they usually try to laugh about the other party, which is actually wrong because uh, the humor turns into painful sarcasm and actually uh, increases the problem. So I think the life hack is to try to look at your own behavior uh, with another lens, lens and uh, try to uh, analyze and see what uh, what what is not so um, logical about how you act. It's very difficult. So that's why people attract mediators and the mediator can show in a narrative or in summarizing the story and people try to recognize and try to um, realize that uh, the, some situations and the conflict situation, they have a lot of uh, absurd um, reasons, absurd actions, a lot of tension. So, uh, and the uh, key is to start with yourself, to not to take yourself too seriously, uh, lighthearted, humorous, and uh, also be respectful that people act as they think from a great logic. But I always remember Mr. Bean, who uh, has, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of this, uh, he has a comedy gene, but the comedy gene of Mr. Bean 
episodes is that Mr. Beat believes that the world is exactly as he uh, imagines it. Yes. And it's very normal in his, uh, in, in his uh, own way, right? Yes. And of course, when he acts as he thinks, he kind of copies normal people. <laughs> and of course, it uh, looks and sounds hilarious, but we are all a little bit like Mr. Bean. We all have a understanding what is a normal best behavior. And it doesn't matter that we look up Allow me, sorry, Karina, didn't allow me to watch Mr. Bean when I was a kid because this is my. Really? Yes, he didn't allow me because he said after watching Mr. Bean, I become like Mr. Bean. And I remember in Kuwait, Arabic country, you know, there were small racing cars in the park. Uh -huh. You need to sit down in this cars and you know they they just going and for me i was so excited because not every day i was going there it was a big holiday when we go with our family i was small girl maybe 10 years old and i put my back on the road and i go in this car but it was after watching mr bean and then everybody were trying to catch me in this car to say this is your bag but i was thinking they want to stop me that my time is finished and i was going away from <laughs> And my father, he was thinking all this happening because of Mr. Bean. So I wasn't allowed to watch Mr. Bean for some time because they said that it influenced me, you know. <laughs> so it's actually very funny. I understand what you're saying. He has his own world and he, that's why it's so funny what he's doing. But there is no sarcasm there. But, but uh, finally, finally, you actually, uh, he really influenced you. <laughs> he really influenced so yeah, he influenced me. Yes, absolutely. Parents are always right. <laughs> Definitely. No, no, it goes without saying. And now, since I'm a parent of three kids, I will support your point of view, Karina. So parents are always right. No, no, it, it goes without saying. Karina, and this, as my last question for you today, I want to know, what is your biggest... Um, I know now it's very difficult time, but what is your biggest achievement for quarantine time? What did you find in yourself Maybe it's something new, or maybe some strength, something that you didn't expect from yourself. What's happened with you that, you know, that you think this is my achievement during these times? Well, um, I think um, a lot of uh, interest and inspiration in uh, uh, this isolation uh, by actually selecting very carefully the people I want to talk to the people I want to spend time with, a special time with um, my kids uh, and uh, watching them grow and develop. And, um, uh, and the, the second thing, uh, a lot of uh, walking and sports. So, and uh, this, uh, I, uh, I did not talk to uh, other people uh, face to face, but I did a lot of long walks every day uh, and uh, from five to 20 kilometers and really brought me great strength and uh, a lot of interesting thoughts as well as um, understanding that life at home can be brilliant and uh, very much fun. And uh, it's, uh, I really um, hope that uh, all the people found this and didn't find it too tiresome. Because again, uh, when we move from a problem to another city 
or to the plane, it doesn't solve the problem. You have to travel at home. So I had a lot of traveling at home and um, these were great journeys. And so uh, I, re I really, the, 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 the fact of isolation didn't uh, bring, didn't, didn't change, it was not dramatic for me. It was uh, really a, a great, a great addition to my big journey. It's very, it's great to know. I know that you can be very dramatic and I'm the witness, you are like an actress, you can like uh, act uh, like an actress, but that you find your inner power and peace being at home, not traveling, this is amazing. Because you know, this is the biggest gift that we have is our inner power, that's the truth. Well, I could, uh, uh, you know, in the end, um, I would like to share a uh, joke um, and um, about identity and about managing kind of your situation in the time of uncertainty. So uh, several mice who are not very happy about being pressured in the forest decide to attract a consultant, an owl. And they come and say, look, we are mice and we are not really comfortable with that. You know, we get a lot of pressure from all the animals. So the owl has her time and she says, look, I have a great strategy for you. You become hedgehogs from now on. The mice are very happy, pay her, then go home and suddenly they realize that they have no idea how to become hedgehogs. They have kind of no manual. So they go back and they said, owl, sorry, you have this great idea for us, great vision, but we have no clue what we start with. The owl looks at them and says, my dear friends, have no clue either. I deal with strategy, not with tactics. That is wonderful. That is wonderful. That is so beautiful. I like this owl. She's so smart. And I like what she's doing, actually. It's very smart. Yeah, become hedgehog. And this is your own problem, how to, to do it. <laughs> that, is, that is very cute. That is very cute. I think sometimes we really should rely on ourselves. And it's great to have... Uh, coaches, advisors, and a lot of people who can help because it's a great community. But sometimes we should take decisions ourselves because nobody knows what is the best for you at that moment, especially now when people say, oh, I know something will happen with money. You invest in these shares or you do that. How can somebody say if nobody, it never happened for the last hundred years? So what we are doing, it's experimenting. And it's to all of us. I am sure you, were, you didn't know that you will walk from 5 to 20 kilometers. It was not in your plan if this will not happen. But now you have inner power that maybe you never can find before. Karina, as you notice, I'm very well prepared for our meeting. I'm wearing the same as you're wearing. That means that I'm a big fan. So with clean hair and with the same clothes. That means that I'm a very big fan of you. I would like to tell you thank you so much for our talk. I want uh, to thank you and I hope that our great mood and your great mood will help people to stay uh, in good mood and to find new jokes for our life. Thank you so much. I was very happy to see you. Thank you. Dear friends, hello. I want to welcome Andrei Kasilov. He is the head director of the Center Education USA Russia and also his executive coach. And today, Andrei, hello, happy to see you. Hi, hello from Moscow. 
this person knows how to go global. He has a very big experience. He's working with young auditoriums, with young people, and I hope with old people also. Even we don't admit that we are old, <laughs> I think it will be interesting for everybody, for younger and older generation. And today I will ask uh, Andy to talk please about fears, how to overcome your fears in your education, in your career, and when you go global, because nowadays we have a lot of fears. Andre, you are very welcome. Uh, greetings, everybody, and thank you for welcoming me to uh, this project. Uh, I will be happy to share some of my experience and uh, definitely the topic of fears is of the prime importance for all of us because we should admit that fear this is one of the basic human emotions and by this fear has a lot of potential energy which is hidden in the fear itself so usually what stops us from moving forward no matter where we want to go especially with young students whom I always deal with what stops them from starting the admission process to the university or college of their dream in the United States is definitely the fear and the fears are different once the fear is in us we can accumulate it and it starts stopping us from doing really big breakthroughs in our lives. So fear being part of the emotion has a lot of potential in it. And as I always say to people whom I interact with, we need to learn how to dance with your fear. Yes, the word to dance. Because what we usually do, we start to lose the breath when we are afraid of something. We feel the butterflies in our stomach and we are paralyzed. Imagine that you come to the stage and you have a lot of people in front of you whom you have to talk to. And this is the fear, most probably, which is very common, the fear of public speaking. You know, when I started to talk about fears, I realized that this is a huge field because fears are enormous. There are over 1,000, just to mention the number, 1,000 fears. Well, actually, we are afraid of everything, you know. Exactly. Fears, I think we are afraid of so many. I, can, I cannot imagine 1,000 things to be afraid of. Maybe to lose your love, the, to lose people you love, to lose uh, uh, your health. But I cannot imagine 1,000. Really. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I was surprised myself. And when you start to communicate with people, you understand the diversity of these fears. And what happens is that no matter what fear you have it stops you it stops you from moving forward if you are a kid if you are a student if you are a mature person if you are a professional fear is something which never lets you go outside of your path of life and to combat your fear as what i said there is always a good approach as to start to love the fear love your fear to love a fear, that may sound a bit ridiculous, but the thing is that what we love, that's what we are not afraid of. So, what we usually do when we have a fear? We try to turn around and escape from it. I can give you my personal example. When I was working at Procter & Gamble here in Moscow, and I had to travel a lot, and I had a very common fear of um, the flights. I was afraid to fly. As a result, I was 
always trying to escape from the business trips simply because the reason was that I was afraid to fly. And the result was that I could not get my promotion simply because I did not do enough in traveling. Then when I realized it, I tried not to escape my fear any longer and I tried to face it. So I tried to understand what's behind the fear. And fear from our childhood is always associated with the darkness. Try to go back in your times when you were a little baby. How do you first recollect the first encounter with the fear? That's something unknown. That's something very, very dark in the corner. That's something when the light is off in the room and you're afraid of it because you do not know what to expect. So what happens next? Your parents come and they usually switch on the lights. They can expose that there is nothing in the room which you should or can be afraid about. The same thing is with us, with adults. We are afraid of something and we do not intend to switch on the light to understand what is the fear all about. Yeah, so, I'm very sorry to interrupt you. I agree with you. Of course, when it's dark, we don't like it because it's uh, maybe the monster will come out of, or, or the ghost. But for example, now I want this advice to be practical, and I'm very happy that you shared your personal advice about Procter and Gamble, and that you were stopped in your career. I am sure that there are a lot of people. Maybe they're afraid of talking to their boss, or maybe they're afraid of traveling, or maybe they're afraid to. Of public speaking that's why they're not promoted in their career but what for example to do now there is fear of you can get sick or you will catch this god forbid corona or something and you said we should dance with our fear or we should even fall in love with our fear how, how is it possible to do good question so what means to dance with your fear as i said there are two options the way how we interact with our fears the first option is the easiest one not to think about it, ignore it, or escape from your fear and give numerous reasons why you do not achieve something. Let's say you are afraid of a particular thing. You are afraid to talk to your boss because it may result in the fact that you can be reduced from staff. You are afraid of this. And what you do, you try to escape the point of the tension. And this point of the tension is actually the inborn fear. The fear comes when we are afraid to get outside of our comfort zone. So what, what has to be done? Basically, we need to challenge ourselves. There is always a choice. The fear is something with which we do need to challenge. So one of the ways is to escape from your fear and then to find the reasons why we do not do something, why we do not reach something. And there is always a plausible reason. That's not us who are to be blamed for not doing something. That's the government, that's the situation, that's the state of the economy, that's whatever. We always can easily find the people who are responsible for the fact that we are not successful. And there is another alternative to challenge yourself. It's not an easy thing, I should admit. No matter how, much, how many times I worked with the cases of fear, that's always a challenge. It always goes through the pain. And the pain, first of all, you need to say to yourself what you are afraid of. And sometimes it's not easy, because what we humans try to do, we try to generalize our fears. I am afraid of, but not being exact, what exactly you are afraid of. If you are afraid to be alone, identify it. 
if you are afraid of public speaking because you are afraid that somebody will not like you in the room there, identify it. But it's not just the public speaking what you are afraid of. You are afraid of a particular thing in your life. And that is the first step to be honest to yourself and try to identify what exactly you are afraid of. Once you know exactly what you are afraid of, make the first steps towards the, that particular fear. Because when fears are summed up, when they are generalized, they become the phobias. In the phobia, that's a nightmare, because then you are afraid generally of everything. And it's, it becomes like a snowball, it becomes bigger and bigger in your life, and you just lose your head. So to stop this vicious circle, try to go to the basics. What exactly are you afraid of? And here, but, probably, but it's... Andrei, you were saying to yourself, I'm exactly afraid of traveling. I'm, excited, uh, I'm afraid of being in the airport, and I'm afraid that my airplane will go up. How did you identify Oh, that's, that's, that's a very good question. You know, when I was trying to fight my fear of flying, I understood you will laugh. It was not basically the fear of the flight. It was the fear of facing the people whom I had to meet in these trips. So the fear of flight, it was, as I said, the plausible reason for my own self. I am afraid to fly. I will try to escape from the upcoming business trip. But it was not the major fear. The fear was to prepare for a particular meeting with new people, with stakeholders, and to make the presentation. And that, that was a big burden for me back then. And when I realized it, I had to confess to myself, Andre, when you try to explain to everyone why I'm not traveling, it's not the fear of the flights. For me, personally, it was the fear of unknown meetings, of meeting people who were higher in position, because I was working in PNG 20 years ago. And back then, I was trying to justify myself to find the reason why I would not fly and take another trip. And the, the problem was that I was not ready to, to work at those high stakes. So this is why important with the fear, first of all, to be very honest to yourself. Because fear, it's um, when I'm saying to dance with your fear. Fear is like, it, well, it's a sort of a monster, yes, but you need to look at this monster and to first identify that fear, it can be an individual thing. It's not a phobia when you have a lot of fears aggregated. So to start with combating your fear, try to understand exactly what this fear helps you, helps you to escape from. It's so very much rooted very in ourselves. Tool. Actually, it's a very useful tool that you can become only stronger, only better version of you. It can help you to... Exactly. Exactly. But you know what humans we do, and I mean, I'm also, I was doing exactly the same thing. I was always trying to justify myself for what I was not doing. And fear always helped me because, well, I could blame fear. It's so easy. It's so easy. I could not stretch over. I could not go beyond my comfort zone because I was afraid of this, of this, of this. And I was always trying to find a plausible reason to just keep my own self why I was afraid to do something. So again, to challenge your fear, first of all, confess to yourself what you are exactly afraid of. And remember that the phobia, this, this is the aggregated number of fears. Try to understand what 
exactly you try to escape from. And that's something what needs us to get outside of the comfort zone. And that's something what we need to look at. Because as I said, fear is a monster. But you need to, you need to look into the eyes of this monster. And this monster is not that dark as it is, it is probably painted. When you turn on the light, you see that the monster does not wish you anything bad. All it what you need to do, me, you need you know, to challenge yourself. The, sorry, it reminds me about the beauty and the beast. You know, exactly. if you think about uh, the, the fear as the monster, really, it's the beauty and the beast, and the beauty fell in love with the beast, and then she found out it's a beautiful person. You know? Exactly, that's, uh, that's an amazing comparison. And when you look at the beast, you understand that there is a beauty in the beast itself. And this is why it may sound definitely a bit weird at the beginning when I'm saying dance with your fear or love your fear. But remember that fear is one of the basic emotions of humans. And there are not so many emotions what we usually live with. And each emotion contains a lot of energy. So when we try to escape from something, we actually rob ourselves of a lot of energy, which is hidden in the fear. So once you look at your fear, you will understand that you can reach impossible ever things, what you never thought before, because fear was stopping you. But fear did not mean anything bad. Fear was trying to protect you from something what you personally do not like. It may sound a bit strange, but that's the way how I always approach those people who turn to me and they would like to work with fears. Definitely, it's not the process which happens overnight. First of all, because we always try not to be very sincere with ourselves, especially when I'm working with um, uh, males, they are more reserved. Uh, we as males, whereas men, we are afraid to confess in what exactly we're afraid of. We cannot be afraid of. This is the social standard. But when we say to ourselves what exactly stops us, what fears we have as, as, as males, it makes us much, much stronger. So it's much easier with women. It, it's a little bit more difficult. Yes, Andre, it's a little bit more exactly. difficult to work, to work with men, especially in our Russian culture, in Slovak culture. For example, in my life, I never saw that my husband or my father cried. So for me, it's like perfect people, perfect men, are always strong, always can protect. But I can imagine how many feelings they have inside. They're also human. They are exactly. They have a lot of feelings, not less than women. But they never show because we say boys never cry. Exactly. I, I fully agree with you. And that's, that's the problem because uh, we try to fight for our identity. We try to fight for those standards what family waits from us. We try to fight for the standards which the society waits from us. But as a result, we sacrifice our own lives. And the problem comes when we try to reserve ourselves from moving forward because of these fears of these standards and we cannot reach what actually we are born to reach so fear that's that may be one of the plausible reasons which we put on the plate trying to explain why we cannot reach something why we cannot do something so the advice is uh, but you know in my life I understood that it's not worth to give advice because <laughs> when people try to catch an advice they try to put the responsibility off their shoulders to the shoulders of the person who advises them so I would say that this is just uh, an observation of my life, that challenge yourself. And whenever you challenge yourself, 
turn towards your fear, be honest to yourself. That is important. Oftentimes, as I say, we try to put different masks on ourselves, but finally, happiness is something what is very, very intimate. And uh, that's deep-rooted in our hearts, and it's deep-rooted in our souls. Absolutely. And, Andre, if you allow me, I want to add, uh, as I made seven movies, documentary films about Olympic champions, that one of the triggers that was moving Olympic champions, when their coach was saying, ah, you will never win Olympic medal. You know, the sportsmen who are much stronger than you, I know this is, you know, sometimes when you have this, you can use this fear, oh my God, I was preparing for Olympic Games for 10 years and I will not get a medal, oh really, oh really, I will not do anything. That makes, of course, a trigger in you and you will exactly. start doing. So for some people it's not working, maybe with some girls, Olympic champs, it's not working. So every coach has his own approach. But with some people, I remember because I like to play tennis, my coach said, oh, my Olga, you're a chicken. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so angry. I said, oh my God, and that made very good. But if I play in a very monotonous way, uh, nothing. So exactly, yes. And fear, it, it gives us power. It's like a, a petrol for the, for the rocket. Exactly, yes, yes, I fully agree, I fully agree. And as I said, there are over 1,000 different fears. So there are so many reasons which we can use to explain why we cannot reach something in our lives. And we always can blame whatever on earth is possible to keep our faces. But does our life not deserve a better way to go? It does. And... Uh, Disregard those 1,000 fears. Turn towards them. Another thing, important thing, is that the fears, they are also divided in a, in a few groups. And that's also what I, I like to keep telling to the audiences. There are basic fears. The fears which protect us as human species. And uh, that's when you need to take care of your life. I mean, when you have to face a dangerous object, you need probably to escape if you cannot fight in return. And definitely these are the primal, primal fears. But then there is also a huge number of fears which I'm referring to. These are mostly the social fears. And the social fears are something what we can easily deal with. So when I was working with the professional sportsmen, as a matter of fact, they are always very cautious about what they do. They always prepare very well for even the extreme sports side because when they go reckless, they can easily damage themselves. They can easily have huge problems on the track or somewhere else. So usually people who are in the extreme sports, they are more cautious about what they do and how they do. They prepare very well. And it, it does not have anything to do with the fear itself, but the primal fear that we need to exist as humans, it's deep-rooted in our mind. Uh, that's one thing, but again, with the social fears, that's something what we easily can deal with, and that's where, where, that's where our dance comes from. That's where we may take enormous energy and definitely succeed in our lives, succeed in our careers, and live the life which we definitely deserve. That is great, and I want to recommend people who have fears, please come to Andre. I'm very happy that we found a person who can help to overcome them. Maybe I should go myself also to Andre and to confess. Uh, yes, I have. Uh, 
and uh, I think it's great if you have somebody who can help you, who can help you through and to show and to talk about that feeling. You know, not to be afraid to be told because even to talk about exactly. yes, it's already exactly. very fearful. It's already it's already very difficult even to talk about the fears that we have. And I would exactly. like to thank you very much because your experience is great. And even you are sitting in front of Education USA. Today we didn't touch that topic because I thought that fears at the moment are very appropriate. And we, if we can help people to get about the fears, to overcome that, not to forget, but overcome, it will give them big power to be stronger. Exactly, exactly, Olga, yes. I want to thank you very much, Andre. I enjoyed our talk very much. And I have a lot of takeaways, how to dance with fear, how to love your fear, and how to get additional, additional energy, not to be afraid of anything. Thank you so much. Thank you. you. Stay safe, have great health, and continue your job. We need you. Live strong and live with passion. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay. Dear friends, hello. Today I'm very happy to welcome beautiful lady. Hello. This is Carolina. Hello. I will introduce you Carolina Conforti. She is art advisor, art collector. She is art writer for Celebre magazine. So it's all about arts today. Hello, dear Carolina. Carolina is in Italy, in Toscany. Hello, Olga. It's an honor for me to join you today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Carolina was traveling all around Italy. She's meeting a lot of people, arts uh, dealers, painters. She's writing a magazine. So actually, that is a very busy lady, difficult to catch. So, <laughs> first you. question to you, dear Carolina. You know, uh, yes. I know that you created an application uh, for investors and for people yes. who love arts. And uh, I know that you are in the team of the people who promote this application now. And yes, I would be yes. happy if this application uh, will be of help to our audience, how to connect investors, money, people who are interested in the arts, how to connect it. Tell me, please, what is that? What is yes. your process about? So, uh, the, yes, I, as I told you, I was my, I'm an art advisor and I was an art historian and uh, always fascinated in the all master paintings and drawings. But recently, I ventured in a new challenging uh, project, which is the For Art uh, Technologies. It's an app that uh, is, uh, is a very avant-garde, very, very uh, contemporary of our art world. Uh, and it is about an app that you can download from the Apple Store. Very soon, it will be also on the Android. And uh, it is on the entire art ecosystem. So art collectors, galleries, artists, director of museums can enjoy, an art collector can enjoy uh, using this app because it gives more transparency, more, it, you can use it for the condition report, you can use it for the tracking. It's an incredible gadget. Uh, uh, art gadget. Story, what is the name of this application again? For Art Technologies. So you can find it on the on the Apple Store already. You can download it. It was uh, invented by uh, a friend and uh, art collector and businessman and my CEO, uh, Nico Kipuros. He's a is an incredible uh, incredible art collector who thought why not to uh, make it a bit easier 
and a bit more transparent, especially in these years, the art world, you know, it's, it's going to a more, uh, it's innovative uh, technologies. And, uh, and, you know, you make from a digital fingerprint, you can have uh, your, your entire collection inside uh, in a telephone. You know, we are all using a telephone and you can check if it is, first of all, real, true. Because many times what happens when you buy a painting, uh, sometimes it happens that when you have it back and it comes to you, it is a different thing. It's a little different. But yeah. this is a, a really against forgery. You know, it's, a, it's an incredible technology. Uh, very. So, so it's technology for people who want to buy a painting and they are collecting these paintings. But I know that, for example, if you don't have enough money, you can even buy not the whole painting, but part of it. Is that true? Yes, this is a, a different project, for instance, for, you know, for the, this is called the tokenization of a painting. So this is another friend of mine that is actually doing this uh, as, uh, as and uh, I will explain it to you when you ask me for the uh, uh, for becoming a new collector. No, we don't do this. We this is a, an app app that you can um, check the if a painting it is a true you know a real painting if it is a, it is what you have bought and you can check from a digital the condition report the tracking you can add documents you can. Uh, implement, uh, you know, your entire collection on your app and you can share it throughout the world. So it is a very interesting... Um, very interesting. So app. this uh, application can help you to fight with the forgery. You will make sure yes. that your collection is truth, yeah? Yes, 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 yes. yes. You know, you, you, you make a picture of the painting through like a digital fingerprint. You, instead, it's a digital and you can do it from your the latest version of your uh, telephones of, on Apple and Android. And, uh, and then you can check that the, the, this is the painting you have bought, first of all. You can have the condition report that many times, you know, it's done in a very, uh, you know, in, in a very human way, but you can keep all the documents always with you throughout your, your, your uh, art piece collection. So giving more, value to the painting you have bought with all the documentation because you know very well when you buy a painting you need to know where it comes from where uh, was the painting to what collection you it was to make it even more important and valuable so this is a, a very useful uh, app for so everybody very useful tool very useful application for art collectors and even I think it's good for painters, uh, for also yes. for artists to... Yes, especially, you know, for the, especially, you know, now because of COVID, we are very lucky, I have to tell you that I, I can travel and I've been traveling the la latest uh, weeks, very, very, very enthusiastic of I this situation. I can see that you are traveling all around <laughs> Italy as if you did all your traveling yes. for 10 years in five days. Yes, yes, in fact. But the, the, the other thing was, you know, especially without, with COVID, we couldn't go anywhere. And the artists, the galleries, many galleries have uh, had to reinvent themselves. So the artists could promote their paintings uh, through our virtual gallery uh, that could make an exhibition for free when downloading our app and uh, share it with, with all around the world 
with different people and you can make your uh, tailor-made exhibition of whatever theme you like for an artist. So this is something incredible. Uh, it is every day it's been implemented with new features. So you can create your, you know, from the walls, from the, uh, how you like it and for free. That's very important. Very important. I think it's a big support for artists as well. Carolina, since there is unique chance to ask you as your art advisor, art collector yourself, only a few steps, maybe for young, um, you know, investors who want to start their own collection of paintings. And I know that you work yes. with a lot of auction houses. Can you give us a few advices how yes. to start your collection and what to pay attention to? Yes, I think, you know, as a, first of all, as a young collector or any collectors, the most important thing is to buy something you like. Because I think, you know, it's, uh, it's always beautiful to have something you like around you. Uh, second, because of this situation, again, the, uh, I'm talking yes, to many art auctioneers and uh, they told me, you know, the, the uh, 17th, 18th century, all masters, it's a very, very interesting moment because there are things that are beautiful, but you know, the market is very low. So in case you want to invest in this, it's, uh, it's an incredible occasion. Another thing, uh, as I told you before, as you were uh, suggesting before, a friend of mine is, uh, it's, an, uh, it's a new project actually for very young, young art, uh, you know, art collector. We don't have a lot of money. It's uh, uh, to, to get, a token of a big important collection uh, uh, painting uh, and it's called a tokenization of a painting so you have a little share uh, uh, and I, I actually I didn't believe in this I was a bit uh, uh, well, you know, yes but uh, now I am actually part of uh, Andy Warlow and I'm very proud <laughs> it's online it's a little uh, so it's a, it's a you know the art world is has invented, reinvented itself. And we have to, you know, go with the, even though it's, it's, it's uh, you know, the, the old fashioned, you can see here, it's so beautiful to be surrounded by, I think old master and new master, it's, uh, it's uh, an incredible sensation. And uh, I think uh, we have to embrace art and digital very, very much at the moment. That's true, and I like that you behave like very innovative. You are not afraid of these changes, and you go for these changes because you want to promote art, and you don't want art to die because of this virus. You want mm -hmm. it to continue yes. and to grow. Uh, Carolina, you're working for Celeb yes. Magazine. Can you tell me how your magazine can help artists? Yes, well, also during COVID for me was an incredible moment because uh, I, I've been asked to write for uh, this magazine, Celeb magazine, and it is, uh, it is, I'm, I'm taking care of the art part on the uh, old, I'm writing on artists. So wherever uh, Italian artists, but can be any artist from all, all over the world, you know, to promote what they do. This magazine goes in all the most important hotels, uh, leading hotels of the world and the most VIP lounges and um, Monte Carlo, England and the main, very soon also in America. So if you want to be seen, uh, I am, I, you can find everything on the, again, on, online, Celebre Magazine and dot uh, world. And it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity for anyone that would like to, to share their passion 
and uh, and we can read about it and and we're very happy to write also on any artist from all over the world oh, great it's very good so guys carolina can if you like to be connected for celebrity magazine or to be part to have a token in a very famous painting or just to buy a painting She's also art advisor. I think it's a very, very good opportunity. And my last question to you, Carolina. Yes. Through this uh, difficult, turbulent time, what is your biggest lesson for you personally? What is your biggest takeaway? What did you study now? Yes, I, I think, you know, the human touch. Sorry, can you see me? Okay, sorry. Uh, the human touch is an incredible... Um, uh, I think we learn to be a bit uh, low-key and uh, also very, the, 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 we are ready to, 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 to start again and to be reinventing ourselves, also to embrace digital. You know, everybody was afraid before uh, and we had to uh, see the future. In a couple of weeks, we had to reinvent ourselves with, through webinars, through human, uh, sorry, I'm sorry because I'm doing from a phone <laughs> and uh, I can see some messages and, uh, and I see everybody is ready and very enthusiastic to start again and to, let's say, to go back to the past, but with a step into the future with great passion and great... Uh, that is a great thing to go to the future, to connect the past, the future, not to be afraid of anything. And I, I agree with you, there is human touch in everything. We become far away because of this yes. virus, but uh, on the same time, we become much closer. I feel I'm in Toscany right now. Dear yes. Carolina, thank you so much. I was very happy to see you. Thank you for your time and for your great- Thank you. I'm very happy to see you. I was uh, I very can't... happy and good luck to you. And we will meet again soon. With pleasure. I hope here in Italy or in Switzerland where I'm based you know and I uh, can't wait to see you from not from Zoom anymore. <laughs> thank you, thank you but, my dear Carolina. Thank you Olga, thank Good you. Dear friends, hello, I'm very happy to welcome you and I'm very happy to welcome Deidre Stevenson. She's a very interesting person. She is an author, she is a filmmaker, she made a very nice movie Lemonade and she is a great mother as well. So I'm welcoming Deidre Stevenson with great applause. Because I'm- Oh, thank you. <laughs> very kind of you. Good evening, uh, dear Deidre. You know, good evening. Good evening. Uh, you know why the story of Deidre is very interesting to me? Because I think really that is very international story. And I think that Deidre, uh, at least in my mind, she's ambassador because all her life she's, you know, she devoted for cultures to bridge the cultures. And sometimes definitely it's not that simple. Ditra, you are from uh, USA originally, but you That's are right. in the United Arab Emirates. Tell me please, like in very short, in few sentences, why is it so? How it's happened that you are from USA living in United Arab Emirates for, I don't know, for how many years? For 30 years? Oh, gosh, yeah, almost 30 years now. Uh, about 29, no, 20, a little more than 28 for sure, more than 28 years. I came here in 1991 um, when my son was only a few months old, my eldest son, Saeed. Uh, we got married in America, and I came here for love, 
actually, I know you don't hear that very much anymore in the world. <laughs> Somebody doing something for love, sadly. Uh, but yes, I fell in love with my husband in the U.S. because we were in the university together. We were students at the University of Alabama, and uh, we formed a relationship. We got married, and we had our first son, and we came over here together and decided to make a life in the UAE because my husband is incredibly close to his family, and it was very important, you know, that he maintained that. And, you know, I really wanted my children to have a similar really homegrown family experience like what my husband had when he was growing up. He had a much better childhood than I did. So, <laughs> and it turned out to be a really good decision because my kids are so well adjusted and I think that they turned out so great because they were raised right here in the UAE. This is beautifully said to come somewhere for love. You know, a lot of our audience, they don't know that much about United Arab Emirates because they're from all around the world. But I would like to tell you that coming from uh, United States of America to Arabic country, since it was almost 30 years ago, it was not that easy, I believe. What was uh, no. the biggest challenge for you, Didra? <laughs> well, um language, first of all. Um, a lot of people didn't really speak very much English at that time, although English was widely spoken even back then. It's just that a lot of my husband's uh, family members didn't speak, you know, that much English, especially his parents. So communicating with his parents turned out to be a big challenge, but really worth it because I was sort of forced to learn some Arabic because I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> um, I think it's kind of learned by immersion. Like, you know, you learn to swim by throwing somebody in the water. That kind of learning language is the most effective, I think, because I really didn't have a choice but to learn how to communicate with them. And I now my broken Arabic is pretty functional. So, which is a, quite a thing to do in UAE because it's an international environment, even back then. Um, but also back then, there was no entertainment, you know, not really. I mean, we had no malls at that time. And being American, I was really used to a mall being around and movie theaters and, you know, uh, restaurants and fast food and things like that. There was really none of that when I came here the first time. So, um, but you know, looking back on it, what's so really cool about it is the fact that it was all about family at that time. And I loved that actually, even though it was hard, it was all about family connections and friends and getting together and human connections. And now, I mean, you know, alhamdulillah, we have all the wonderful things around now, but I think maybe we lose connection sometimes now with human beings. You know, we're more on social media and <laughs> these things than we are sitting across real people. So, yeah, I don't know if it was a hardship. Now, looking back on it, it might have been kind of an advantage. Definitely. <laughs> you know, uh I can imagine, I remember you were telling me it was a few years ago that when you just arrived, you were in the house and there was no place to go out because now, of course, Not really. Emirates is a 
incredible country, but there was no shops, no cinemas, no, no big malls. No. Not even any English TV, nothing to watch on TV either. <laughs> well, I can imagine that was a big challenge. Uh, Didier, yeah. tell me please, uh, you are uh, an author and you are a filmmaker also. How did you succeed uh, in the environment where, number one, there were not that many foreigners, number two, you are a woman, and I know still for women it's much more difficult than for men. Even some people Definitely. will tell me it's the same, but it's not <laughs> the same when you have a family. And also, number no. three, I know that uh, one of your kids, one of your son, who is gorgeous son and very talented son, but unfortunately he is autistic, Plus this, yes. there are a lot of challenges that you should be more devoted to the family. How you managed to succeed as an author and as a filmmaker being completely from different culture? Well, I think that might have been part of where my American upbringing was an advantage because one thing that, and especially being raised in the South where I'm from, from Alabama, I mean, we were raised to be kind of pretty strong women. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Gone with the Wind, but it was all about the struggle of... This is the movie that all people are amazed and it's, you cannot believe how uh, popular Scarlett O'Hara is in Russia. It's uh, For many girls, she's a symbol well, of... Well, there you go. And look at the odds she faced. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the odds she faced. I mean, she had everything go wrong. She was victim of war. I mean, her home was taken over, all of her money, all of her income. And um, yeah, I mean, she came out of it victorious because of her spirit, you know, and I think that we've been raised with that spirit. And I think that that's what really got me through because I figured if I can't do one thing, it doesn't mean that every door is closed just because one is closed. I mean, I, thankfully I, I have, I got education and that was the most important thing that I did for myself is continue with education. And I think that all girls should, should uh, go for higher education and never sacrifice this. Because it's like an insurance policy, you know, that you carry in your back pocket. That's one good thing that my father taught me is that, you know, education is the one thing that no one can ever take away from you. And um, uh, um, sorry, can we just, can I take you know, one sec? Okay, are you going to be editing this? No. Yeah, I'm <laughs> no. Okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, anyway, um, now, getting back to uh, what I was saying. Yeah. To the, um, to the right, question, the, how did you succeed as an author and as a filmmaker? What, what oh, helped okay. you? Well, what helped me, like I said, the spirit, the spirit that I was raised with, the determination, and the fact that I was educated. So I um, did have resources at my disposal, even though I wasn't going to choose a traditional career. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom from the very beginning. I did work for a while. I got a job. I mean, my husband helped me a lot with that. When we first got here, I remember that we actually got in the car and went driving to different libraries to help find me a job. <laughs> and we, we ended up going to the British Council. I basically just walked in the door and said, hi, I'm an American graduate of library science. I have one year professional experience and I'm looking for a job. And they were just 
flabbergasted, you know, and, and the library, the woman behind the library desk said, well, we are looking for a head librarian. And I was like, oh, okay, well, point me in the right direction. <laughs> Let me go apply for that, please. <laughs> and um, yeah, I got that job and I worked for a while, but then I decided that I did want to just be fully devoted to raising good kids. You know, because um, the culture here of having maids and, you know, nannies, you know, to do most of your work is it's great to have somebody to do your work for you at your housework. But if the, you let them raise your children, I think it's a really big mistake to let them raise your kids because they take on a lot of the characteristics of the person that has been raising them. Let's just face it. Um, and that's not always a bad thing, but I prefer that they take that. I wanted them to take after me. I wanted them to take my personality and my, my values and, and the things that I teach them, you know, rather than somebody who's just there to keep them alive until I come home. <laughs> and that's all I really felt that they were devoted to is just keeping their hearts beating until I got back in the door after work. And um, that's not fair. I think that when oh, you have children, you should be devoted to building a, a human being, a it's productive it. and good member of society that's going to really contribute something. So I did want to do that. And I decided we are facing that, that we start thinking more about who is raising the kids and what kind of personality you will be, even to exactly. survive at times and to get out of this uh, victorious, you know, not a victim, not being defeated by the crisis, by the health uh, things, by the situation that exactly. people are losing their jobs, that there is not that much money at the moment in the market. There, there are always a lot of money, but the thing is that uh, the situation changed and now it's not only about the money. It's about the humanity and about the moral values that you touched upon. Tell me, please, uh, since you did a movie, it's a documentary film uh, called Lemonade, and it's a very touching movie, and I know that it's won uh, some awards, and a lot of people were touched by that, and I like this movie very much. And it's about your son, who is autistic person. So tell me, yes. please, how are you managing this... Uh, filmmaking and uh, having a son like that how you balancing your time and uh, what is the secret of your success uh well um you know i've always i was i was saying before I, I i wanted to devote a lot of time to really raising them and putting the effort in but i did want something for myself you know so i i became an author and uh, it was something that I was always interested in doing, especially with the library science degree and a communications degree. Um, and the thing that I wanted to do as well is to communicate things that were going wrong, you know, in terms of autistic care, you know, in the UAE. Um, my husband is a psychologist and we're fortunate enough to know when things are going well and when things are not going well. And with his um, schooling here, I think that now, I mean, I have to say now, the younger children have a lot of advantages in the UAE. They did it before. Before, when Ibrahim was coming up, there was literally nothing in terms of services, you know, for him. Um, we were fortunate enough to move back to America a couple of times uh, for my husband's graduate studies at that time. Um, where I picked up another graduate degree as well. Um, and so we 
you know, he got some good preschooling at that time. And when we moved back here and he went to a special needs school here, we noticed that they, he wasn't really progressing as well as he should have been. Um, and then when he was 19 years old, they decided they'd had enough, you know, of trying and they needed to open the space for a younger student. I didn't find that acceptable. I mean, and I think that there's a lot of parents here who are in that situation right now. You know, they're here with an adult child with autism and they don't really know what to do with them. They don't know how to make a life for this person. And especially during a pandemic right now, I mean, even the the few clubs that we have, you know, for them to do recreational things are closed. They've been closed for a few months. Lemonade, the film that I made, was to shine a light on this problem. And it's based on the American expression, you know, when life hands you lemons, you make lemonade, which is, I mean, it's like the story of my life, really, <laughs> you know, making a good situation out of bad stuff. Um, but what we did with Ibrahim was we made a homeschooling program for him of our very own. I went online and I got, I put out ads for a couple of uh, home carers for Ibrahim, Filipino gentlemen here in the UAE who we were very fortunate enough to come into contact with some with, with real nursing degrees that we could hire for affordable salaries, thankfully. I mean, we do have that advantage, you know, to be able to access staff like that, you know, for, for the right kind of money. Um, and we sat down and we made a homeschooling schedule for Abraham with everything that a school would have been giving him. He has English, he has math, he has arts and crafts, he has sports time, he has everything built in to his daily routine that he would have gotten in school and actually better, in fact. So he's happy. He's got a predictable routine. And I started to send him to the grocery store to do the shopping every week. His carers go with him. Uh, and, Gidra, I will interrupt you for one second just to explain to some people, because a lot of people even don't know that, you know, these autistic people, they're not exactly the same. So maybe they will say, oh, what's, what's difficult in that to send somebody to a grocery shop? That's not a big deal. <laughs> Just to explain that it's completely different life, completely different abilities, and you need to always to right. at least to support and to uh, protect, or at least to monitor. It's not that you you can completely <laughs> go out of this uh, and leave somebody alone for a long time. It's not possible. Tell me, please, exactly. the movie that you did, Lemonade, it's about Ibrahim and about autistic child and about how to yes. succeed in that. Did it help you to feel stronger? Did it feel him to feel stronger? Yes, absolutely. He loved helping make the movie. He really liked being filmed. And, you know, like you were saying, autistic people have problems with communication. It is, in fact, the communication disorder. Some of them don't speak at all. I mean, it's a spectrum. They go from not being able to speak at all or function Maybe you, know, you want to share some photos. Uh, I know that you prepared some photos that you want, because we have only yeah, interviewed them and I didn't see any photos yet. <laughs> I, I do want to share some photos. So here we go. I'm just going to share screen with you. There's, uh, there's the award that I won in Ireland uh, for Lemonade for the best uh, 
this production uh, of, of a documentary. That is and really there's Ibrahim. That's, that's my boy. And, you know, look how he's looking away, though. I mean, eye contact is a big part of autism or lack thereof of eye contact. But look at that smile. I mean, he's very that's one happy. of the things. He's, very he's a happy boy. And he's happy because we made a productive schedule for him. We didn't just let him stay home and watch TV all the time, which is what I think a lot of people do, sadly. And you know, just like any other man, he needs something to feel productive and, you know, like, like an adult, he needs to have responsibilities. He needs to have chores. He needs to have a schedule. And that's people who are autistic thrive on the predictability of their day. So that's very important. Now, um, this is at the film premiere in Abu Dhabi and the, that's me there and the two carers that I had on board at the time, one of them still works for us. The other one had moved on to another job and, but we replaced him with another assistant. The ones, the lady sitting beside me is the director of the film, Sarah Al-Hashimi and uh, the associate director and um, we we premiered this at the Takama Tamakan Tamakan uh, company in Abu Dhabi, and it was just a big big hit. It was amazing. Uh, oh, that's that's a cooking show <laughs> that I've been on. That's another one of my hobbies, by the way, is cooking. Uh, one of my books on BlueJennyMedia.com is a cookbook called Breaking Bread Around the World. Sorry to change the subject, but. You know, it was a, a cooking show that I was on for an Indian television show. Um, so it, I just thought I'd share that. And it suits you very much to be there. This is you in magazines. So this Lemonade movie made uh, quite an impact in uh, United Arab Emirates. Absolutely, it did. It, it was in uh, the uh, cinemas here. It was in Box Cinema. It was in Novo Cinema. So it had cinema releases as well. And of course it had um, film festival releases in the United States and Ireland and in the UK. Great. So, well, that's, uh, this is the right. book. This is your book. Oh yes. These are some of my books. I just wanted to show you. I, I do another thing as well um, to keep myself fulfilled and to help sell the books because, you know, being a, an author, you have to be what we call a, an author, authorpreneur. <laughs> so we're, we're an entrepreneur, but we're an authorpreneur <laughs> because authors now have to really get out there and market themselves, not only as a writer, but, you know, market their books as products. And uh, one of the ways that I do this here in the UAE is to visit schools, you know, and talk about creativity and writing. And uh, the children have a great time. And, you know, they, are, they, get, they learn how to write their own stories, in fact, you know. And I've visited many schools throughout the region. And um, so that's just me. <laughs> and those are some of my books as well. There we go. My trilogy, The Hakima's Tale. Yeah, and that's suitable for all ages. That's what I take uh, to, to schools with me. 
I don't take Desert Magnolia or the horror novel that I've written because they don't tend to be suitable for anyone younger than 16. But these are suitable for all ages, the Hakima's Tales. So, you know, feel Wonderful. free. To, and uh, did there's you a, tell me, please, as um, the, um, what you will recommend because you have such successful accomplishments, even though it's very difficult for you. You have a lot of books written. You have a wonderful movie made. You have a lot of social work when you work with school children and help them to find their, you know, true values through books and through cooperation. And also you are very active yourself in spite of the fact that you are very busy in the home life. And of course with Ibrahim, what you can recommend to people who want to go global, who are sitting somewhere, I don't know, in a small village, isolated village, or even not in the village, they could even sit in Paris, but they don't know how to connect, how to write a book, how to make a movie. They're just dreaming, but then they found out they're already 70 years old or 80 years old. And, Hmm. And that's right. It. Well, I can tell you this. It starts with page one, <laughs> just like writing a book. You know, I mean, people ask me that a lot. How do you get through writing an entire book? I mean, writing a book is like doing any kind of accomplishment in your life. You have to start with the first page. It's not going to get done at all, or and you can't even conceive of it until you write the first word. That's when you actually think, well, maybe this is actually possible, you know, because thinking about it, dreaming about it doesn't make it happen. You have to actually take action and taking action is the most important thing, even if it's not perfect in the beginning. So what, what is perfect in the beginning? You know, everything we try in this life we have to make mistakes and we have to fall down and learn. I, I don't know which, which person said this. I think maybe Einstein or somebody, um, somebody of note, you know, said that if you've never made, if you've never made a mistake, if you've never failed at anything, then you've never done anything either. You never tried anything because so you can't make accomplishments without taking that risk that you actually may fail the first one or two times you try something. I wrote my first screenplay when I was 45 years old and I taught nobody myself nobody, nobody, how to write a screenplay. But you will believe you, number one, because you don't look even you are 45, but number <laughs> two, uh, it's of course, especially, you know, in Slovak, Slovak culture, unfortunately we have big limitations by age. They say if you didn't try something before 40, you can forget about that. And I like that you did it, uh, you made your first screen play, screenwriter at the age of 45. 45. And then I went on to win a best short screenplay award, uh, an award uh, from Cannes in 2018. Well, Mediterranean Cannes, but still, you know, it's fantastic, you know, that I was able to do that at a later age. And, you know, here's the thing about age. You know, we have to stop looking at a certain age as a cutoff point. It's not true. Not anymore. I mean, before, maybe back, you know, six, seven hundred years ago, maybe you would have needed to plan to die around 45 or 50 years old, you know. So, yes, you could consider yourself old at 40 years old. But now we live until maybe 80, 90, 100 years old. So 
I mean, I'm 54 now, so do I have to be old for the last 40 years of my life? I mean, if I'm, if God is willing, I'm able to live until I'm 90 something, you know, I don't want to be considered to be an invalid, you know, for all of that time. That's still a long time I have left. I still have a lot of things to offer the world and many things to learn. So I think that it's all in your attitude. You know, when you really, I think I always say this, that the day that you stop being able to, to learn anything from anybody else is the day that you die. You did already. You're, you're all, you're just walking around and you don't have your coffin yet. You know, you need to realize that part of youth and holding on to the juice of life is learning things. And I want to learn say things that uh, you really. have a very big courage and I want to thank you very much because uh, for me personally, it's very encouraging, you know, to number one, you don't have any limitations in front of the age. Number two, you don't have any limitations in front of the obstacles. And number three, you don't have any limitations, believe it or not, by countries. So you are from America living in Arabic world and making sure that these two worlds are perfectly working together, I think is the biggest yes. accomplishment. I wish you to make new movies. I'm sure that Thank this you. will be as successful as Lemonade. They will also will be in Cannes Film Festival. It doesn't matter, is it Mediterranean or just Cannes Film Festival, but it's important <laughs> that it's thank you and it's very important and i hope that your advices will help people to be strong to find inner power and uh, why we call it uh, our blog hidden hero because i believe there is hero in everybody of us the thank most you. important That's... is to wake him up so let god yes. you protect you in these difficult times and to be always young because you you're looking very very young Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It was a big pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.